We're making it easier to listen to the World Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Union General Oliver O. Howard is well known for his hard luck performances at Chancellorsville and Gettysburg. Some also know of his role after the war as head of the Freedmen's Bureau and his founding of Howard University in Washington, D.C. for the education of the freedmen. Few people know that he founded or played a role in the founding of another university, Lincoln Memorial University, in the Appalachian Mountains of eastern Tennessee. Lincoln Memorial University is today home of the Abraham Lincoln Museum. We'll talk with that museum's director, Thomas Mackey, today on Civil War Talk Radio. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. If you are a parent of a child with autism, you know that there can be day-to-day struggles emotionally. Now you can share insights and outlooks with the Mother Cub Show. Your host, Susan Lynn Perry, a parent of a child with autism, will bring a new perspective to the subject from diagnosis to effective treatments that are working. Her guests will include professionals, authors, and individuals that will bring wonder and hope to the world of autism. Tune in to the Mother Cub Show, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Follow the World Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at World Talk Radio. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the World Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash World Talk Radio or follow along with us at World Talk Radio, the World Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you on a bright and freezing cold Friday afternoon in late January 2011 from the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. But as always, not speaking on behalf of the university, just using, while they're still paying the phone bill, the phone system here at ECU. And I know my guest will not speak for his institution, but just for himself, as we always do on Civil War Talk Radio. And it is uh, freezing cold outside. It's freezing inside, metaphorically, where our attempt over the past few months to hire a new 
person to teach ancient history here at East Carolina to replace a retiring colleague, has been frozen in the past week. It's a cold budget year all around the country uh, for higher education and for many other places. Uh, the uh, hiring process has been frozen. We're, so if you were thinking of applying for that job and wanted to join me here at ECU, we have a great department, but you'll have to wait until uh, till we get more funding to uh, to hire anyone. We've also been given a uh, reversion, uh, told to give back some of our current budget to the state. It's a 1% reversion from all state agencies, which doesn't seem like much, except when you... Uh, consider a department like history where the only equipment we have is chalk and a blackboard, 95% of our budget is in payroll. Uh, so 1% is actually 20% of our operating budget. Uh, it's kind of a lot to give up. Not that I'm complaining. I, my colleagues and I are all happy that we're here working hard for the taxpayers of North Carolina and doing things like talking civil war with you this afternoon. But, um, uh, it's it's uh it's it's a tough time to be teaching anywhere. Next year's rumored ten, fifteen, or twenty percent cut will mean uh, the loss of some valued colleagues, and we're not looking forward to that at all. Uh, it's a, a funny time in higher education, and perhaps uh, I guess I will talk a little about this later. Uh, the uh, recent studies, uh, recent book published this past month has did a study of college students and showed that they aren't learning a darn thing, uh, that two years of study do not improve their research or uh, critical thinking skills at all, and a third of them don't even improve over four years. But if you've seen that study, and many of you have, I'm sure, the uh, silver lining in it is that the students who took courses that required actual reading and actual writing, not just multiple choice exams, tend to do well they do actually improve their critical thinking skills. And thus, those of us who teach old-fashioned disciplines like history, where uh, you have to actually write out your arguments in essay form on an exam and uh, prepare long research papers in any high-level course, we're still uh, hopefully training students to do something. So there's some encouragement to that. If you're going to be in North Carolina in the next two months, uh, March 26th, of 2011, there will be a conference on public history of the Civil War at uh, NC State in, in the state capital of Raleigh, and it will feature uh, discussions of all kinds of, of historical elements of the, the war, including uh, public history elements. And my guest uh, today, Thomas Mackey and Aaron Carlson Mast of the Lincoln Cottage, the Anderson Cottage, Lincoln Home, outside of uh, Washington, D.C., and I will be presenting a program called A Universal Feeling, Whether Well or Ill-Founded, Cannot Be Safely Disregarded. And the subtitle is Managing Public Perceptions of Abraham Lincoln. We'll talk about that a little more today. In the email uh, coming in this week to share before we uh, dive in, the town of Fairfax, Virginia, or Fairfax County, I should say, uh, sends to World Talk Radio or to uh, Civil War Talk Radio the news that they welcome everyone to come and visit them during the sesquicentennial that's coming up. So I pass on to you, the listeners, uh, to check out their website at fairfaxcivilwar.com and spend your money there, and maybe they will not build a Walmart on top of some other battlefield. We'll, we'll see. Uh, in weeks coming up, 
Civil War Talk Radio continues. We will be live for the next three weeks at least, uh, probably many more. John Marzalek, uh, biographer of Sherman and Halleck, uh, will be joining us. He's currently the uh, director of the U.S. Grant Papers, uh, now located at Mississippi State University, and we'll talk about how Grant uh, ends up back in Mississippi after all these years, among other things. On February 11th, then we have Dan Weinberg from the Abraham Lincoln Bookshop. On February 18th, Mark Weitz, author of some interesting books on uh, various topics, one on Confederate desertion and another one uh, dear to the heart of East Carolina on pirates, uh, specifically uh, uh, piracy in the Confederacy. So we'll have some interesting shows ahead. You can find out about these, as always, on impedimentsofwar.org, the support website for Civil War Talk Radio. You can donate money there. Click the button and uh, send, send us cash, which will be used to help pay for that website to keep it afloat and to uh, purchase the occasional book for this show when ECU's library fails to come through, which is happening, alas, more and more as whole areas of the second floor that once held book stacks have been converted into some sort of learning center. I, I, I lose the ability to speak coherently when I think about the uh, removal of books from any library, uh, particularly that one. Uh, but we are entering the modern uh, uh, post-book era, apparently. World Talk Radio uh, tells us that this show and other shows are now available for users of the iPhone and iPod Touch series, BlackBerry, and Android-powered devices. I have no idea what any of this means, but through their respective app stores, you can buy apps to listen to Civil War Talk Radio on your thing that you use when you should be paying attention to the person you're sitting across the table from. Well, enough of this sort of uh, ranting. I'm getting more curmudgeonly as we go, so let's get back to the Civil War. Uh, we have as our guest today the director of the Abraham Lincoln Museum on the campus of Lincoln Memorial University. His name is Thomas Mackey. Tom, are you there? I certainly am. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Oh, quite well. Quite well. At least better. Better. Well, good. Good to have you with us. Um, I started in the introduction to mention a bit of the, the legendary Oliver Howard story yeah. and the founding of, of Lincoln Memorial University. Uh, share with the listeners, uh, where did Lincoln Memorial come from? Uh, we we uh, affectionately call Howard, um, uh-oh, Howard. Um, but we, um, he came here in um, 1896, I believe the year was, and he worked with an Episcopal um, mission school in Cumberland Gap. And in that speech, Howard said um, and confessed that he had spoken to Lincoln um, in 63, post-Gettysburg. Um, he was being transferred, apparently, to the Army of Tennessee at that time. And in that meeting, Lincoln had said to him, the third, of, you know, third meeting he'd had with the president, that, um, Howard, what are the chances of first of bringing troops through the gap you know, on your way there? And he said, I really can't say. And he said, when this war is over... So would you please come back to Cumberland Gap? And he's literally pulled the map down, put his finger on Cumberland Gap, being an epicenter of um, an, a pro-unionist South. And he strongly felt that this was where our interest needed to be. He said, when the war is over, come back here, and let's do something for the justice of these people. In 96, Howard came back. He said, I can finally fulfill the promise I made to my boss 40 years ago 
um, felt very strongly about that. So it was kind of, I think, one of the, about the last school that he actually helped found. He founded quite a number of schools, um, actually all for minority students, um, including, I guess you consider Appalachian kids at that time, minority students. Uh, so Certainly. we have some of his papers here. Mm-hmm. So, so Howard played a role then in, in getting yes. uh, actually, Lincoln Memorial was, University started. Well, he actually was the first um, chairman of the board. He pulled together trustees, and ironically, the trustees happened to be former veterans and of both the Northern and Southern armies. So he was kind of the um, ultimate re- um, reunionist um, here on campus because he w- he pulled bankers and investors who would who would fund the college, and bo- all of them had been, or at least most of them, had been veterans of the Civil War both sides. Um, and that was how he actually got it started. He um, actually was operation. He worked on the campus until the day he died. The day he died in 1909, he was actually on the phone that day working out to get some funding uh, for the campus as it, you know, as it struggled uh, just to hold the doors open. So in that sense, things, things, nothing changes over time. Here we are. No, it was still, years later. Yes, we're still doing it. Um, but some of our trustees now have been very big about trying to revamp a lot of the dreams that Howard had early on, the law school, the medical school, um, education. So he was pushing those various trades and occupations, and we've done it again um, under you know, trustees much li- many years later. But they have um, really tried to utilize Howard in, in, even as a fundraising um, effort. Uh, so we've done actually – Surprisingly well, so you know many universities are struggling right now. We're we're stable. Um, well, that, that's good to hear. We're actually stable. Even the museum. So I'm, you know I, I I knock on wood regularly. Um, so my budget is not being cut. We're holding things together here, and we're we try and you know play nicely and share our toys on campus. As I say to my staff, says play nicely, share your toys. Um, you know work with others uh, because we're you know this is a tight tight times. So we don't want to be. Um, you know, curmudgeonly, uh, you know, to use your word um, about working together here. So, tell the museum. Uh, yeah, how, tell us about the history of the museum. How did the, the museum to Lincoln get started on campus? Uh, that's actually in our charter, right at the very beginning, when Howard and his first trustees assembled this. You know, wrote the charter. It was to also have the university was to have a Lincoln Civil War collection, particularly Lincoln. Um, so many of the men um, who involved here, very beginning, they were veterans. They brought over memos, pamphlets, books, commemorations, items that they had saved since their youth, um, that they had seen Lincoln, images they'd seen of Lincoln, um, diaries, materials that they had, mementos, and that became part of the library system. So it was in the library very very beginning. By 1910, apparently the collection was large enough, and the trustees by that time were already concerned that they needed a museum building to house this material. They really did not have a, a real solid whole room until 1929. Uh, Duke Hall, um, named after um, um, the same Duke that worked in North Carolina, um, we had a large room set up there as a research center um, on Lincoln Studies. Uh, about several years later, a Civil War room was put in. Um, R. Gerald McMurtry, um, famous Lincoln collector, and your uh, predecessor as well as mine, <laughs> um, at different times, mm-hmm. um, came in the, uh, to LMU and began um, 
professionalizing the collection and actually expanded it a great deal. Um, large amounts of our professional collection came in from the big Lincoln collectors at about that point during the uh, 1930s and through the 1940s. So that's, that's when we were doing the bulk of our collecting. Originally, you know, early, early materials, Lincoln personal items, family materials, commemorations came in about that point. The uh, uh, McMurtry then, is, you mentioned the figure, he was, uh, you know, directed the collection there at, at LMU at the Abraham Lincoln Museum. He later became the uh, director of the Fort Wayne's Lincoln Museum, right, which right. Is, mm-hmm. I, I worked at uh, many yeah. years later. Uh, did not not uh, overlap with him in any way. No, we don't know. No. no. Um, now McMurtry's son Stephen is a friend of mine, and he he is on our advisory board on this campus. And uh, Stephen McMurtry was the one who actually kind of coached me, you know, how his dad collected everything. And in fact, I'm looking over some of his vertical files now. You know, this, today I was looking over some of his files. We need to recatalog. Um, I'm finding 150-year-old pamphlets. No, okay, this this, this is going to a different category here. You know, um, we have I think 25 linear yards of vertical file material, and it deals with museums, um, Civil War issues, Lincoln issues, but they were all vertical files at the time. They were not part of the archives because they weren't that old. <laughs> the time so well that was the again fort wayne had a, a vertical file just yep. uh, folders mm-hmm. that lewis warren the founder <laughs> there would would yeah. just drop articles into and yeah. uh, uh warren, on yeah. the original newsprint so they would eventually decay but uh, yeah. they would be there well warren and he were very close apparently uh, yes worked together um uh, especially like the lincoln heritage trail uh, much of the early Lincoln commemorations, and um, a lot of his, a lot of McMurtry's files are over here now, so we have a great deal of those, um, which I'll hopefully I'll really utilize for my own dissertation. Uh, I, I want to ask you about that in a minute, but it was while we're on the McMurtry's, uh, yeah. uh, Mrs. McMurtry, I, I knew uh, reasonably well in in Fort Wayne when I worked there, and we we used to wonder. Uh, in our ghoulish museum way, what would become of the Lincoln cabinet, the corner cabinet uh, built ah, by Thomas yes. Lincoln uh, that belonged to the McMurtry family? Yeah, yep. we still uh, have it here. You have it there. We have it there. It's on long-term loan. We do an annual checkup with the family as to how it's going to be handled and maintained. And, and so far, they've been very pleased to leave it here. Mm-hmm. Um, Mick, um, Stephen has been doing more speaking with us, and he is, we, we've um, started another lecture series, like the McMurtry lecture series down here, in public leadership um, in a, at the law school. So we mm. do. Uh, we brought the family in on that one as well, um, and and we it, in utilizing some of his family papers. His, you know, his research is as a as a separate category. So we've done a lot more with Lincoln legacy. Um, how has um, our effort to commemorate Lincoln doesn't tell us much about Lincoln directly. It does tell us a great deal about, as Americans, how are we treating ourselves? How are we d- describing ourselves? What does it mean to be patriotic? And we use Lincoln as the poster child uh, of patriotism. So, you know, basically we utilize that legacy as a way of analyzing the progressive era, World War One era, you know, the World War Two era, the Cold War. You know, so we use that, you know, so we've been collecting very heavily in that area as well. Which is nice because it makes a very multidisciplinary collection that goes on beyond the Lincoln itself, and, and through multiple eras. Now, so right. I would say right. the McMurtry family backed the right horse, given oh, yeah. that Fort Wayne's Lincoln Museum uh, is no longer uh, yeah. extant. Uh, they they chose well in choosing your institution. Um, 
you mentioned your your PhD work. You're you're finishing that up at Western Michigan University. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, uh, the, tell us about the topic. What are you uh, researching? Well, it's interesting. I had first ten years ago when I was in the program started the program. They were hoping I would do something in poor care, the Progressive Era. Mm-hmm. Um, five years ago, I moved to this museum here, and I decided I wanted to finish this doctorate. And um, many political things that happened at Western were changed, and they were eager to have me come back. The, um, they found out, well, where did you work? And I said, well, I'm at a Lincoln Museum. And uh, they all of a sudden began drooling and got very excited because they knew that a dissertation on Lincoln, would, no matter what it was, is going to make a book and sell. They just, you know, they could do mm-hmm. that. So um, they said, um, well, you, you're going to do, because they knew my background, 30 years in public history. Um, so look at, at an analysis of Lincoln within the public history field. Not just you know statuary that commemoration public history, but actually in the historic sites, uh, accessory sites, and the major uh, museums that have large Lincoln collections, like the Ford Museum, Chicago Historical, Smithsonian, Library of Congress. All those have, you know, they're not just Lincoln sites, but they have very large Lincoln materials. Uh, so the, you know, an analysis of how Lincoln has been interpreted at those sites. So this is going to be kind of a um, it can be a little bit of a long-range piece, but I've already um, been jumping in on this one. I guess the collections are right here, so we start working on that. Mm-hmm. Well, this um, you know, certainly ties to what uh, you and I and, and uh, our colleague Aaron are going to be talking yes. about oh, in yeah. North Carolina <laughs> shortly. Um, we'll come back and talk a little bit more. We're going to take a short break right now. Right. Our guest is Tom Mackey, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop take world talk radio on the go and listen anywhere get our mobile app for iphone blackberry or android at the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market people are looking for hands-on alternatives to conventional psychotherapy long-term therapy and medications to treat depression and anxiety are no longer the only answer Tune in to Holistic Answers to Mental Health with your host, Aileen Neely. Let Aileen show you the techniques of energy psychology. You'll learn some of the more effective methods being used to treat stress, anxiety, marital issues, infertility, and empowerment. Listen every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for the keywords World Talk Radio. Once you're part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and happenings at the World Talk Radio network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for World Talk Radio. Can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person? Think about that for a second. Almost everyone wants to be better, but how does one go about doing that? One thing that is making people better every week is tuning in to the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. All real change comes from within, but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on World Talk Radio Variety. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. 
welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Thomas Mackey, director of the Abraham Lincoln Museum on the campus of Lincoln Memorial University in Harrogate, Tennessee. Uh, Tom, you're in a beautiful location there in uh, Cumberland oh, yes. Gap. Uh, three kinds of water to wash your face, I'm told by the folk song, uh, <laughs> uh, where where the rivers come together. It 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 is just a spectacular place. Uh, oh, yeah. What, do you have a view from your office? Oh, wow, do I ever. Um, actually, uh, um, I have the window right next to it. There is a large, they put this huge two-story picture window which is a nightmare for the um, eco- our, our indoor ecosystem here. Mm. Um, but it's a view of the Saddle of the Gap, uh, just uh, this panoramic view. There are no buildings. We are, see, we're surrounded by National Park on uh, at least two sides, um, 78, you know, several hundred acres around us. So it's just, you know, uh, forestry. It's really quite an impressive view. And I actually, I actually live at the edge of the National Park myself. Uh. So my, my backyard is Wilderness Road. Um, Cumberland Gap, but everything's right there. It's just quite nice. It's um, I have people who enjoy doing frontier history. They go, "Oh, Mackie, what a what a location!" <laughs> <laughs> and and of course, Civil War armies marched through there as well. Oh yeah, well uh, um, we we were really walkover readouts and um, rifle pits. In fact, I I did. It was Dr. Hess, um, our own professor here, specialist in uh, fortifi- Civil War fortifications, uh, kind of coached me a little bit as to what I'm, what to look for. And then the park rangers kind of guided me through here. So we go, we go, I took my family out hiking, little maps and whatnot. And there's, in fact, behind my house, there's a, a, a series of rifle pits um, uh-huh. and emplacements um, on the campus. Whenever they when we, we put in new um, buildings, and we've done a lot of that lately, um, you know, we dig up some more, they find some more artillery shells, um, bullets, odds and ends, um, because the area here was, uh, was fortified, not, not no real battles, but it was so active. Um, it was partially in place to control East Tennessee. This area was, you know, 80% plus pro-union. Uh, the Confederacy desired this area needed to be kept under control. And the, and the guns are facing south. You know? um, the big guns, are, a lot of them are actually um, you know, looking in toward Tennessee, East Tennessee, uh, trying to maintain some kind of, kind of, kind of control uh, in this area. Wow. Well, if, if, uh, if you next see Professor uh, Hess, uh, tell him after this is over that it was a painless experience. I, I've invited him on the show before, and he's very graciously uh, declined. But uh, you can let him know it's really fun, and then uh, he, he can talk to us about his, his numerous important works on the war. Um, well, you... I have an email here from a listener asking, uh, saying that I need to ask you about your work in progress uh, to to act anew, think anew. Uh, is that the, the provisional title for your dissertation or something else? Act anew, think anew. I'm not sure on that one. Um, I hope he's not thinking of a Thomas C. Mackey at Louisville. <laughs> well, maybe um, that is. Because the professor, Louis, he's speaking at our symposium um, oh, okay. in April. Um, and I think flat because um, we left. I went going up to him and says, "Tom, you have a wonderful name, <laughs> a solid name." <laughs> People look at it kind of funny, you know. But yeah, he. Um, we've been mixed up a couple times already. Oh, interesting. See, I, I have to admit, I've never had that problem. I go to a conference. <laughs> no, no, another name, no. There. <laughs> nah, not going to happen. Um, Okay. Well, it, well, your presentation and the one that you and I are working on and jointly uh, is to talk uh, about how Lincoln has been presented. And yeah. uh, 
One of the questions that that I'm curious about, and and I hope maybe we can answer jointly there as well, in terms of of visitors, of people approaching you at the museum, is there any one or two points uh, that you find frustrating? uh, Let's say Lincoln myths that won't die. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, there are several. Um, They threw me off. I, I was somewhat prepared because I remember back in the 70s, when Sun Pictures put up that ghastly um, uh, um, movie on the Lincoln conspiracy. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, that was awful. Um, but the, um, we have some of that. So, was Stanton really responsive? I don't think so, you know. Um, and with the booth actually is, is, yes, everybody's new booth. I mean, it's like, it's like Brad Pitt, Orlando Bloom. My apologies to those actors, but, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you know, he was well-known. If you went to the play, plays regularly, you saw a booth. You knew them. Um, but the one that really gets me is the North Carolina Lincoln. Uh. He's not born in Tennessee or born in Kentucky. I, have, I've had, I had one gentleman, and which is ironic, my students were with me. I had some independent study students with me, and the gentleman came in, and he was certain he had me. He came in and says, what would you say if I could tell you po- proof positive Lincoln was born in Tennessee? I says, you don't have proof positive. <laughs> Good news for you. Um, it's just that... Um, the Civil War and Lincoln brings out, and ev- because they are so iconic in our culture, everybody wants a piece of it. I cannot, no one can control Lincoln's name or image or face. Um, it is completely um, inf- infused without, within our culture. So anybody who wants to be a historian, a, uh, tradi- a um, frustrated um, amateur at some point, somebody who wants to involvement in history, um, they're certain they've got an answer, or they have local history, um, you know, local legends, which are, I used to, I, since I worked in local history for almost 30 years, um, it's always been one thing that brings chills to me, because I know local history tends to have a lot of problems. It's local, you know. Mm-hmm. It just develops these local legends, and they're certain because Grandma told me this. They're, you know, and that would rattle my cage a lot, because people are certain about this, and yet there is no background for it. They don't really have any background. And it's difficult to explain why they don't have any background. So when we do our exhibits, I start with the myth. I try to literally bring a myth out right in front, front and center, and then I try to you know, explain this is why it's not the case. Or here's what we do know, here's what we don't know. You know, leaving, you know when you're earlier um, programs this, this month, uh, you know, to realize that this is a very complex issue. Anybody's life is complex. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Oversimplifying it, but yeah, I think the one that gets me is the North Carolina Lincoln because that one will not die. Well, um, there's there's a book called the Tar Heel Lincoln that proves oh, he was yeah. born here in, in North Carolina, and I certainly get that question here uh, regularly. Oh, uh, I have a book called the Lincoln Eugenics. I had one of my <laughs> actor friends brought that one. I was oh no, <laughs> not so. I was no, I'm, I'm I still consider myself a Lincoln neophyte, only being in this five years. Um, you know, Lincoln studies. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming with a lot of other backgrounds, but so I've, I've had to do an extensive amount of reading, um, your books and many others included, trying to um, get up to speed as to who speaks on what, you know, who has what authority, who has what strengths and weaknesses. Um, so a lot of my nights are spent reading Lincoln books. <laughs> well, that that doesn't doesn't change over time. No, I, I was hoping it get a little bit. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, but uh, you get to be more selective occasionally. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I will get a, a book sent uh, to me, and I'll think, you know, I don't think I'm going to read that one. I remember my uh, my mentor, David Donald. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yes, right. Back in the the eighties, and I said, uh, Doctor Donald, have you read this? A new novel uh, called Traveler. It's, it's a novel about the Civil War from the point of view of Lee's horse. And <laughs> he just looked at me, and I was quite excited. I thought it was kind of an interesting concept, like Watership Down, you know, the talking animals. Yeah. And, and, you know, Lee's horse has an opinion of Jackson's horse and so on. But uh, the Professor Donald just looked at me with a look and said, I don't think I'm going to read that one. And <laughs> in retrospect, he was right. It wasn't a great novel. Yeah. <laughs> You don't need to read every Lincoln book, but uh, they're out yeah. there. Let me ask you about about this, uh, which is in the news, of course. Uh, what do you make of our? Well, uh, what do you make of what just happened at the National Archives? And, and maybe we should spell it out for for <coughs> listeners who might be yeah. clicking on this uh, uh, two years from now and don't know. Uh, I it, have, of course, yeah, the, the um, now. I guess on that one. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> I have well, I'll account. spell it out uh, just for the listeners in case they're they're tuning in years yeah. later and don't know what day it is. But uh, Thomas Lowry, who's been on this show, uh, uh, was famous for since the mid '90s, late '90s, for discovering what seemed to be the last document Lincoln ever signed, and it's uh, a pardon uh, annotation on the back of a court martial record dated April 14, 1864, or rather 1865, uh, the day of, of the assassination, but. It's now been revealed that uh, Mr. Lowry, or Doctor Medical Doctor Lowry, uh, uh, doctored the document with a fountain pen and changed the date from '64 to '65, and uh, tampered with the historical record and defaced a Lincoln document. So, uh, what do you make of that? I have um, in the museum field. I have two things. One, I would um, I was reading some of the articles, and I wanted to really make sure that. Um, <clears throat> Uh, you know, this was a, you know, he's actually like a conviction, so to speak. You know, there's just not a, you know, because I consider this extremely serious. Mm-hmm. Um, I have worked in museums, and the issue of museum ethics, and part of this museum ethics is treatment of original sources. Um, <clears throat> basically, almost like holy writ in some ways, but that they are treated respectfully, you, you know, you, and you you don't deliberately deface physically or deface what it's saying. You don't bend <clears throat> the truth. You don't Twist it mm-hmm. as best you can. We, yes, we have perspectives. Nothing's completely neutral. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the ethics of uh, history and museums which I, you know, are very strong in this, and I have absolutely no sympathy whatsoever um, for anyone, anything time this would be done. This is completely inexcusable. Uh, we've had, I think we've had issues here at this museum over in many years past. Um, with issues like that, with people playing with evidence and tampering mm-hmm. with evidence. And I said, you don't do it. You know, if you do it in a court, you're going to jail. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I consider it very serious because museums are one of the last places where people trust what you say. Um, our society has become very cynical. We live in a profoundly cynical society. A sense of public trust, um, we're public, even the most private institutions are still public. There is a public responsibility. Part of it is to treat that evidence extremely respectfully, that you're using it as honestly as we know how to do. Knowing that, yes, we might have to change. <laughs> you know, we find new things. We interpret things differently. But there is still an effort at, at honesty. And this is a violation of a public trust. This is as deep as you can possibly make it. And I can see why the National Archives would be just 
you know, beside themselves that <laughs> this was done under their watch. It really is, is uh, uh, upsetting, and and, and that he gained uh, traction in the Lincoln field from publishing <laughs> yeah. this, uh, uh, and has done some other books since then. Uh, I, I think it's actually... significant. He, he was not a, a trained historian, uh, no. but he, even common sense tells somebody that, that you don't do this to evidence even if you haven't had uh, courses to teach you how to handle uh, materials yeah, like that. Yeah, that should be basic ethics. I just really, yeah. you know, um, that's first grade, second grade ethics. <laughs> Don't write on um, <laughs> other people's property. Yeah. yeah. This is, One of the things that struck me about it uh, was the, the slap on the forehead because the original annotation dated 1864 is published in Basler in the Collected yeah. Works of Abraham yep. Lincoln, and you go to 18, April 14, 1864, and there's the pardon uh, written out or you know typed out on your printed page. At, when when this was first published, it didn't occur to me or anyone else in the field. Let's just check it against the other April 14s of 62, yeah. 63, 64. Yeah, it never occurred to anyone that that he might have destroyed or damaged a Lincoln document to make himself known. It just it, and and I don't think it's widespread. I think this is a unique case, but. Uh, I would hope not. I would. It, that would. That would be difficult to handle. But but that he copied, that he defaced something that's already out there, printed in the collected works, is what really gets me. That that, that there, there, once it was found, there was no question of of it being a different document. The April 14 mm-hmm. document was clearly there, and clearly that's the one he had changed the date on. But no one I showed a, a, a picture of it to my students today uh, uh, on the screen in a Civil War class, and and. Being college students, they hadn't heard the news. They were busy watching Jersey Shore last night. So they uh, uh, saw it. And I said, do you notice anything about this? And they, they worked their way through the handwriting. They got to the date, and they said, that date looks funny. And the five is just black drawn over the four. It, it's yeah. astonishing that no one noticed it. Yeah, but there we are. But because get, because we're, we don't, we're not cynical enough, maybe, about our own Oh, yeah. Well, I think critical. There's, there is a um, – I was beaten – my undergrad years, this was beaten into us. Um, critical participation, you know, here in the liberal arts. Uh, part of it is to recheck sources, mm-hmm. is to scowl, in a sense, over the sources, double-check. Do you know, you know, do you really know what you're looking at? Mm-hmm. You know, what are you seeing? And then double-checking on it. And the link of interest, and so much has already been printed again, um, to suddenly find a new document that has never, was not ambassadors at all, or any other, mm. you know, that, that, that in itself should make me rethink, why is this not already printed? How does this not get in there? Mm-hmm. Um, especially for modern piece, modern fairly modern piece of historical work like this, and then to see it never did get put in, so that would be um, you know. But but there's so much to do, and, and in some sense, I, you know, my staff, and other museum staff, they're overworked many times. They're they're swamped with minutia. There's constant detail of things. You're 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 you know, you, as you know well. You're tending to. You're looking over you know four or five projects. You're juggling activities and due dates, deadlines, and whatnot. Um, and in the end, things slip through. That, that's true. What's uh, what are you working on now at the museum? Do you have a, a oh, an exhibit <laughs> underway? Uh, or what's things. the biggest thing you're working on? Biggest thing? Well, several things. Well, we we've been we have been working on a completely revamping our core collection or the core exhibit. There are three main galleries: Life of Lincoln, and Life and Legacy of Lincoln. Um, we physically rearranged all three galleries um, the last couple of years. Now we're kind of fine tuning it, and we're trying to create basic themes. Um, using statuary, using artwork, 
Christopher Lincoln's kind of introductory piece to them as sort of like a focal point. You, you recognize the statue. Well, here's kind of the legacy behind it, and here's then the history behind that. Um, so we're using, you know, and, and try to make it very engaging. Uh, we just finished an, an, an interactive, a small hands-on children's gallery for the young Lincoln years. Hmm. And Gallery 1, a lot of hands-on material. We have just um, opened or set up what they call uh, Civil War History in a Box, um, using a lot of our regional, for the tri-state area, the um, proficiency expectations for the tri-state area. We hit the middle school range, and we used our own education department and my own, our own staff to write up their fictional biographies, uh, but they're based on particular units, regiments in the Civil War, northern and southern. Hmm. So we do those. And then we have, a, we have a Civil War, our first Civil War symposium this April. Oh. Yep. And we got Brian McKnight, Dr. Hess, and Dr. Thomas Mackey as our, as our key speakers that day. Oh, so that uh, uh, definitely yeah. sounds good. Yeah, April yeah, April 16th, and it's titled War in the Mountains, a Civil War Symposium. This is our first one. We're going to try and make an annual Civil War Symposium to coordinate with our, our Lincoln Symposium, which goes on every four years. I was going to say, I'm familiar with the Lincoln one. I think I spoke there oh, yeah, years yeah. ago. I believe you uh, did, yes. Mm-hmm. A while back. Well, let's take another short break, talk All more right. about the Lincoln museum at Lincoln Memorial University with its director, Tom Mackey. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and you're listening to Civil War Talk Radio. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. Are you looking for tips, tricks, secrets, and techniques that you can use anywhere, anytime, on virtually any problem? Tune in to Magic at Your Fingertips with EFT virtuoso Teresa Bolin. You are a divine manifestation of love and light. Take back control of your life and create the life that you want using EFT, Emotional Freedom Techniques. You'll overcome the obstacles that stand in the way of living your heart's desire. Magic at Your Fingertips airs live at 6 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern, and 10 p.m. in Japan on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. If you are looking to get started or are currently operating a home-based business, you might be looking for answers. What are the risks? What business should I get started in? How will I market my business? How do I balance my professional life with my other life? For answers, you need to tune into The Home-Based Business Show with Helene Leontzos. Each week, we'll bring you a step-by-step practical guide to starting and maintaining your home-based business. Listen every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. My guest today, Tom Mackey, is the director of the Lincoln Abraham Lincoln Museum at Lincoln Memorial University in Harrogate, Tennessee. Uh, it is the Abraham Lincoln Museum. At one time, it was called just uh, the Lincoln Museum. Yeah, they, uh, that was changed. Um, both of us had, um, both the um, when the Springfield, actually before Springfield was put in, I think, 
they were trying to come up with a more solid name, corporate name. So they came up with the Abraham Lincoln Library and Museum. Then Springfield had to modify theirs to Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. And the Fort Wayne was the Lincoln Museum Fort Wayne. So we had all had a slightly different titles. That, um, that's right. The, so not yeah. To be com- yeah. <laughs> the Fort Wayne one, when I got there, it was called the Abraham Lincoln Library and Museum. And yeah. there was this argument. Uh, we were trying to get more visitors, and people said it sounds too stuffy and it's like a library. And so we wanted to change it to Abraham Lincoln Museum, nice and short. But yep. you guys had that name. So I, I remember asking your, your predecessor, our director asked your predecessor about changing it. And the answer is we changed it once for you guys uh, <laughs> uh, because it had been something before. It was Abraham Lincoln Museum. Yeah. And, uh, and we're not changing it back. So, all right, fine. We'll, we'll work around that. <laughs> What's uh, funny is that when I did this, this, this Lincoln Legacy research, is the, there, I've counted 30, 32 different Lincoln museums around the country. Really? I said, oh, my word. <laughs> because some of these are very small sites. They are historic sites. They're you know, the Lincoln, Lincoln Marriage Chapel, um, Mordecai Lincoln Home, Levi Lincoln Home. You know, all these various um, relatives of Lincoln's um, have sites associated with them. Um, Lincoln was here to sites. Um, some of them are extremely small, actually literally no collections or maybe an archaeological site. Um, others are very significant, large institutions like the Redlands in California, the Huntington mm-hmm. um, Library, Chicago Historical. You know, there's just a huge number of these sites. I did not realize. But it makes then assembling original Lincoln materials extremely difficult, if not impossible. So we try and do more things. I've been trying to come up with ways of... Um, networking with other Lincoln sites, using Facebook, using other virtual media. Um, so I've been working with the you know, Lincoln College, mm-hmm. uh, trying to more connections with uh, Springfield sites. We have a real good relationship with the National Park Services, uh, Lincoln areas. So we've done really well with them. Mm-hmm. Um, the Washington, D.C. Lincoln Group. So we've been trying to come up with ways of um, sharing information, so you know, who has what collections especially when it looks at you know, Lincoln personal possession. So we've been trying to share that going back and forth through email, um, social media, to try and you know, share these things around so that uh, our researchers and our, our members and those who want to do Lincoln research can see where, where are these collections. Um, I think that's a, uh, certainly a great idea and something that, that technology makes more feasible today than, oh, much than more ever before. Yeah, during Murchie's time or even um, mm-hmm. my predecessor, Charlie Hubbard, when he was here, Dr. Hubbard, um, you know, this was not really that positive, it was not really that known. Uh, just really in the last ten, eight, ten years, eight, five to eight years, we've seen a lot more ability to just share information, uh, photographs, images, and text, but not just back easily so that we can actually share. Actually, sometimes it gets overloaded. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you do have some original objects. Or what what oh, is yeah. the coolest thing you have in the museum? All right. We, we always think there are a few key things we try and grab folks. One is the core assassination object we have um, was uh, the walking cane. It's a silver-handled, silver-tipped um, ebony walking cane. Um, it's got Lincoln's name engraved in it. Um, it was left. It was left at for the box at Ford Theater when he was shot that night. He had apparently had brought it in, set it behind the chair or uh, the wall um, behind the chair. When um, in all the commotion, both came in the assassination, um, all the commotion of getting of you know there that night, when they took him out to the Peterson house, an actor was responsible to come in there and clean up the mess, and there was the king. 
He says, oh, my. So he took this as a, as a commemoration, beginning of Lincoln collecting right then and there, you know, the post-assassination collecting right then and there. Um, of course, he was an out-of-work actor, so he ended up having to sell that cane for $40 to a grocer in town. Hmm. It was in that family for about two generations, and that family then gave it to us. Uh, back wow. in the 1940s, 30s, 40s, it came to the museum at that point. We have uh, scales. They're actually now in Russia. Um, from New Salem, that we believe they're from the Lincoln Lincoln store in New Salem. That now that's common, hard to, to trace provenance on that one. New Salem that, is that, gone. that one I say, okay, we could say that it's the right time <laughs> period. Okay, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But we told the Russians, look, this is as good of the provenance as we've got. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. uh, so that was a little rugged. We have several. Lincoln had a lot of canes, so he gave away gifts. We have actually some things like. Um, Lehman's watch, watch that Lincoln gave Lehman Ward, um, you know, his security guard. Mm-hmm. Um, it has, you know, from you know Lincoln to Ward, and, and Ward had it engraved with Lincoln's face when he was killed. Um, and that was from the family. So there's a close connection, good provenance to that piece. Um, we have items from the Lincoln coffin from the um, various funerals, lots of bunting that came off the... Uh, the catafalques and uh, the various decorations associated with Lincoln funerals. We have two flags, one from the funeral and then one from the 1858 campaign, and then two campaign posters from the Senate race as well. Um, and uh, we have a, a cane also in Russia right now that he was that the family gave to us. I think Robert Todd Lincoln Beckwith would have gave it to us. And that was one of you know things that he had as an attorney. And then a Ponce box from the, um, the the White House, one piece of White House china, <laughs> one piece, just one plate. Yeah. Um, you know, so you know, and a scattering of things like that. Now, you mentioned Russia. Is, is this a traveling exhibit that you have there, or a yes. joint project well, with someone we, we, there? With, um, um, Michael Bishop was involved in this one. John Sellers, and some other people were involved in putting together this um, exhibition. It was the same one. The national, uh, let's see. The Russian, Confeder- the Russian Federation of you know, Confederation of Arts and Humanities group, the Russian American uh, Co-op group, and then um, Library of Congress put this exhibit together, toured around the United States, and we had a few pieces of that one. When your former museum um, went under, they had planned on using things from that museum. For right. The Lincoln part. Well, <laughs> there was no more, so they came to us going, "Help!" <laughs> you know. And we were, I, you know, I do I actually remember the planning of that, our curator, yeah. uh, Carolyn Tuxley, being involved in that. So that's the same thing. It's still yep, yep. years and this, later. Very yeah, interesting. This one changed over, so it'll be at the um, Moscow National Archives and then at a museum in the St. Petersburg. So there are two sites, two big venues in in Russia that they'll be shown wow. there. Um, and we, we were glad because, like I said, we were small. We don't have the ability to handle some things, especially right now. We haven't mm-hmm. been able to develop you know, a big promotion ourselves, well, we might as well work with somebody else who can. So we get our, we've, we've gotten our name out, and we made good professional colleague connections throughout well, the world now, um, dealing with Lincoln. So we felt very good about being able to do that, and that we were, you know, cooperated with other museums. So that's helped, and that's helped us be able to get things into our museum as well. Uh, we have a, a, a Lincoln and Technology exhibit coming up on April 1st this year. So we were, uh, we were we had a better word out, a name for ourselves, right? Um, and we were able to gain things, um, you know, models and items that we don't have for this exhibition. So it, it was it was a, it was a good connection point, and it's 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 moved us up 
my goal is to get us to the point where we can be accredited um, by the American Association Museums separately. Mm-hmm. We have a ways to go yet. Our physical plant needs more work. Those are the things that we're working. Really, it's back room. It's, it's boring. But most of the public don't want to know about these things, but that's what sets us up to, to be a dynamite site, and that's what we're trying to be. And just, but we're trying to get the infrastructure in place. Well, people can get a, a sense of some of the things you're doing from your website, which I'm looking at at this very yep. moment, www.lmunet.edu slash museum. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a complimentary Facebook site to go with that one as well, and I, I, I welcome anybody to join us on that. We keep communicate back and forth, so it would be a great to have them on there. Now, as I look at the website, there's a changing list of quotations, a uh, selection of quotations, one of which says, you have to do your own growing no matter how tall your grandfather was. Uh, and I don't remember Lincoln saying that. Uh, I mean, no, we, that's, that's one of the things that you, you, Charlie Hubbard gets pretty fussed about that, too. Um, <laughs> that all those things are done by the museum. <laughs> Advanced, it gets these quotes. And so we try and catch us. No, that's not a Lincoln quote. You know, chapter first, please. <laughs> So how, 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 did, how did the website, so the museum didn't design the website? Oh, my, no. No, we didn't touch the website. That's done no. by the University Advancement. <laughs> I see. Yeah. How many times is that the case? Uh, that would happen at, uh, with, with Lincoln National at the Lincoln oh, Museum yes. in Fort Wayne. The, we'd be working away producing historically accurate and responsible material, and they'd say, we're doing a commercial. We've got Lincoln as a golf caddy, and, and this guy is golfing. Yeah, and Lincoln's, yeah. you know, we want to make sure we get it accurate. So how tall was Lincoln? Like, it's not going to be accurate if Lincoln's carrying some dude's no, golf bag. I'm sorry, no. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't really matter whether he had yeah. a beard or not at, at a given age. If he's carrying golf bags, you're, yeah. you're on the uh, wrong no, track. No. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, we had those things. And it's difficult, actually, for me, because I'm new to get those Lincoln quotes down. Now, a few I found just having to dig through Bethel and other online sources to kind of really um, to wade through things that he did say, where and what speech somewhere might that come up? But yeah, we come up with those regularly. My, my own brother even pulled it on me. He pulled this. Uh-huh. I knew that was not right. I says, Joe, that's from World War II. Then no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, these quotes. Uh, no. There's one of them. The, the better part of one's life consists of his friendships. Lincoln did write that. Yeah. Uh, but I recall he wrote it in a political letter. Uh, in a highly cynical use, where he, he was he was writing mm-hmm. a letter to be shown to someone else. Uh, to prove a certain relationship that was not necessarily the case, but for political advantage. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's an yeah. intricate story. I forgot the details. But the point is that Lincoln is manipulating uh, all this and is writing this, this bromide about friendship uh, in something that's nothing to do with friendship. It's all about politics. No. And I think one of the, the problems is with, with any um, – because Lincoln's words are pulled out of context so constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, that one is probably becoming my my, my new um, disturbance as I read more. You know what Lincoln wrote, th- you know, in his co- throughout the whole speech, and I realize, wait a minute, okay, you know, I, you know, that takes some time. This does not come quickly, and I think mm-hmm. one of the problems is is, uh, is the quote books. I, I, I condemn those, like Bartlett's quotes and others that have yes, the quotation. Quote, I see what you're saying. Yeah, they, they just pulled out of context, and because Link, Lincoln is known for what he wrote and what he said, mm-hmm. not so much for what he where he lived and what he owned. Um, which is why the Lincoln collecting is so, as it is, you know, the nature of it, it's like it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the problem is, um, we're in a society which wants sound bites, quick sound bites. Lincoln spoke in an age long before the sound bite. 
He spoke in an age when enlightenment thinking, logical progression of statements is still an expected, um, you know, behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, we pull that, oh, this sounds good, Whomp, and we pull that sucker out and plop it up on a, on a shirt, you know, mm-hmm. or something else. And, and then, uh, you know, and I actually will get critiqued because we take too long. Mm-hmm. I want, you know, I'll, I'll put this in, you know, but it doesn't mean that, yeah, so... That's a constant. That's a constant battle. That is frustrating. And you're right, it is constant. It's impossible to be the Lincoln police and, and, and monitor oh, that. Uh, yeah. And, and because, well, you know, I said, yeah, because Lincoln is owned by everybody. But that, that is correct. one of the problems because he, he's so verbal. Well, Civil War Talk Radio is in the post soundbite age, and we have a whole hour to chat, but even that runs out, and that's happened oh, again. So, uh, Tom, you and I will get to talk uh, uh, in a few months. Yeah, uh, in, I look forward to this. In Raleigh, I'm looking forward to, to it, too. Thanks for being on the show today. All right. Thank you for having me. And listeners, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.